the mind for healing. Jo, thank you. Thank you. So today's reading is from the Old Testament. It's the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 to 19. And if you do want to follow on the church Bibles, it's on page 216. Joshua installed as leader. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then... You and all these people get ready to cross the River Jordan into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so a man dies and goes up to heaven and he meets St. Peter. And St. Peter says to him, have you ever done anything courageous or of service to others? Well, he says, I can think of something. Once I was outside a pub and I came upon a gang of hell's angels who were threatening a young woman. I told them in no uncertain terms to leave her alone, but they wouldn't listen. So I approached the largest and most heavily tattooed biker. I smacked him on the head, kicked over his bike, ripped out his nose ring, threw it on the ground and told him, leave her alone now or you'll answer to me. Well, St. Peter was very impressed and he said, "Uh, and when did this happen? And the man said, hmm, well, it was the last thing I remember. Pam reminded me as she came into church that uh, we have a family motto, not one we've invented. We're we're Strachans when we go north of the border, and the Strachan family is part of the Farquharson clan, and the Farquharson clan has a Latin motto which says, Non timeo sed caveo. Pause for those who are classicists to have a little titter before I translate it. I am not afraid, but I am cautious. So perhaps it's uh, uh, only right and proper that uh, uh, we should be thinking about courage today, and I should be given that topic. It follows last week when some of us were being challenged about having a culture of invitation, and next week when we begin thinking about being a contagious Christian.
And I was struck in the service that we had last week by that little clip that came from Bill Hybels in um, uh, uh, Willow Creek where he asked the question, do I think my non-believing friends would thank me for introducing them to Jesus? Would they lead richer, more fulfilled lives? Would they be better equipped to cope with life's ups and downs? And to that, Tim added, would they be in a better place after they die? And to each of those questions comes the resounding message, you bet, yes! So why is it so difficult to actually put it into practice? Why do I find myself frozen at the mouth when the prospect of talking about Jesus comes up with somebody uh, who is not yet in the kingdom? And the answer is it still requires courage. It still requires courage (coughs) to make the journey from where I am now to where God wants me to be. So we're going to think about courage today. And uh, if we look in the Bible for a character uh, to bring out who personifies courage, it must be Joshua. Not only his life generally, but specifically, as we heard from our Old Testament reading, when he took the people over the Jordan from the east to the west to uh, inherit the promised land. Now we're going to look at that story and see it's a wonderful analogy of how we move from being non-believers to claiming all that God wants us to be. It's a wonderful story, but I have to be honest, it creates a number of moral dilemmas for us as Christians. Because when we strip away the allegory, this is about ethnic cleansing. This is about might overcoming the rights of individuals. This is about aggression as the people of Israel take by force the promised land. And it's not easy to square that with our faith. And if you hope that I then can square it for you, you'll go away disappointed because I can't. But we need to acknowledge it anyway and not to uh, beautify something which in reality is very hard for us to understand as those who are bringers of peace in the name of Jesus. But here we are, for 40 years, for 40 years, the people of Israel had been nomads in the Sinai Desert, a nation without a homeland, at the mercy of people, uh, one people group after another, as they moved from one area of the Sinai Desert to another, rootless, and unwelcomed. And we might ask ourselves, why didn't they storm into the Promised Land? It's about 400 miles uh, from the southern part of Egypt, where they were enslaved, up to Israel, Palestine. 400 miles. 10 miles a day? 40 days should do it. It took them 40 years. What was it that kept them in the wilderness for that period of time? The first answer, which perhaps is, a, it, 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 is, is, it is historical, <laughs> get it out, Simon, it, it is historical, but it may not have a relevance to our application today. It's because God determined it. Moses failed God uh, at the uh, rock of uh, Marabah, and as a result of that, uh, God said, you will not see the promised land. Only when you die will the people of Israel 
inherit the promised land. So I think we can just put that on one side. It doesn't have a modern parallel today. But the other two reasons, the other two reasons are particularly pertinent to us as we think about the analogy of us moving from where we are into the promised land. The first is, it must have been an existence which had its advantages. Forty years in the wilderness, manna and quail were provided every day. They had their sheep. They could move around from one place to another to the pastures. There was always water there. It must have been something which they had grown used to. And for them, that rather than change was all that counted. They must have thought it's a reasonable place to be. It's almost a parallel to 40 years previously when they were on the edge of the Red Sea The Egyptians were gathering around them. And what did they say to Moses? Come on, Moses, let's go. No, they said, why did you bring us out into the desert to die? It would have been better for us to live on in Egypt and stay. And they said exactly the same when it came to the promised land. Life is endurable. Let's keep with it. And there's a third reason And that is that they were afraid. And this is where we come to the nub of why we're using Joshua as our uh, um, linchpin for understanding courage. There were 12 spies who were taken uh, from the east of the Jordan into the promised land to sound it out. Ten of them came back with this picture. These people, this is from Numbers chapter 13, these people are much too strong for us. We won't be able to grow anything in that soil and the people are like giants, so big that we felt as small as grasshoppers. So they were scared. Let's stay where we are. It's okay, we can cope. Who wants to go into this new land? And this is where Joshua comes in. He he features an awful lot more than just in Joshua chapter 1. But this is where he and Caleb, two of the ten, had a completely different picture. Look at what it says here. We saw the land ourselves, and it's very good. If we obey the Lord, he will surely give us that land rich with milk and honey. We have no reason to be afraid of the people who live there. The Lord is on our side, and they won't stand a chance against us. Now, I want to come back to that later on, because as we shall see, there's quite a parallel between faith and fear. Faith and fear both believe that something that hasn't happened is going to happen. The difference between the two is that fear tells you it's going to be worse, let's stay where we are, whereas faith sees that there's great prospects ahead. So let's have a look at uh, Joshua chapter 1, and we'll just see one or two things which may help us in our journey from fear to faith. I love this, chapter 1, verse 1 of Joshua says this. After the death of Moses, the Lord said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Well, that's um, a statement of the obvious. Let's keep it normal. That's a statement of the obvious. Why bother to say that? Well, the answer is that it's a touch of humor on God's part, but it's also God saying, come on now, the time for procrastination is over. You know that it was Moses' life that was stopping you going into the promised land. 
And now that's over. Now you have to face up. Maybe you've been using these things as an excuse. But now that excuse is gone. Time to get up and go. And then in verse 3, we have a description of the land that would be theirs. Interestingly, it talks about from the Lebanon in the north down to the Sinai Desert, over to the Mediterranean, and then through to the land that we now call Persia. It was larger than they ever actually occupied, even under King David. David got almost there, but this was the prospect, a huge land that was given to them for their use. And then verse 5, a promise, a promise that nothing will overcome or resist them. And then a promise that God will be with them, that he's already there, he's gone on ahead. It's not foreign territory for him. He's already been there. He'd just like you to come and join him. And then a warning to keep daily close to God, a precondition of realizing the promises of inheriting the land, meditate on the book of the law day and night. And that's not all. In verses 6, 7 and 9, despite all the foregoing, despite everything that's been promised, which should do away with any fear at all, the message, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. It's as if God is saying, even though I promise you all these things, I know because you're human beings you will know fear. You will understand fear. So that's the story from Joshua. And now I I have to ask myself, how am I going to apply this piece of the Bible to myself? And here's the question. Am I satisfied with life on the borders of the promised land? Am I ready to move from where I am into the promised land. And that's where the analogy breaks down because you're either in the promised land or you're not in in geographical terms. But I can have areas of my life where I have not yet conquered the land that is allowed for me. And I say to myself, yes, I do want to inherit the promised land. And I guess most of you, if you were honest, would say, yeah, I'm up for that. But then what do I do about it? What is it that turns this sermon of general truth into something that can actually uh, change my life? Well, let's try and explore this. If it requires courage for me to go into the promised land, then first of all, I have to understand what I fear. Because if you fear nothing, you don't need courage because you just go through life. But if you fear something and face up to it, that's courage. I was thinking of Jesus. Now, what did Jesus fear? You say, well, Jesus wouldn't fear anything. He did. He feared being separated from his Father, which is why the cross was so difficult to take. So I ask myself, now, what do I learn about fear which may help me to see how I can get into the promised land? This, this is an opportunity now on the screen. You'll see some of the uh, wise words that came from Michael Harvey uh, last week. These are uh, things that I think are helpful. Fear focuses on the risk, not the reward. What might happen, not what might happen. Fear is okay. It's a, it's a, a human emotion. 
but it's okay in the passenger seat, not in the driving seat. Fear is faith. It's just faith in the wrong thing. You know something's going to happen. You have faith about it. But you fear it because it's got uh, uh, the negative to it. Faith and fear both believe that something that hasn't happened is going to happen. Just remember those 12 spies. Two of them believed that something was going to happen which was good. Ten of them believed something was happened which wasn't going to be good. So they have so much parallels, those two. Okay, so I'm now on this journey trying to think, how can I actually apply this to my life? And actually, I have to think, what do I fear? Well, what do you fear? Some of us fear change. Some of us fear rejection. Some of us fear insecurity, financial insecurity, or uh, losing the familiarity of uh, life around us. Some of us fear letting go. People who are addicted who want to break free of that addiction, also fear losing the thing that they're addicted to. And it needn't be something which we understand as a a medical condition addiction. You may be addicted to things that are perfectly respectable, but that you would fear to do without. I asked myself the question, okay, what do I fear? Well, I fear not being well thought of. I fear not having control of my life where things are in order and I know that actually I can manage this and that. I fear, I fear losing my independence physically, mentally. Happens when you're my age. But I fear that. How could I live with that? And I fear doing things that aren't ordered and logical and meet the uh, test of being entirely rational. But that only gets me so far. You may have your own fears, okay. And you say, okay, well, if I'm trying to be courageous and trying to move into the promised land, and these are things I fear, to be courageous is to face up to those things. But it doesn't make sense for me to say, okay, because I fear um, not having an ordered logical life, I start doing one or two illogical things just for the sake of it to show I'm courageous. Or because I want people to think well of me, I'll do some things that I know they'll hate me for or or, or, um, uh, losing control of my life by taking on far more than I could ever manage, or losing my independence, cut off my leg just to prove that I don't really, I'm not really scared about losing my independence. It doesn't make sense, does it? And what are your fears, and what can you do about that in order to show that you really have put your faith in God? Because if I don't, if I only do logical and ordered things, where's the opportunity for God to do something that I wasn't going to do anyway? Now we're coming to the end and I'm I'm coming to a conclusion about what I can do to be courageous. And that's to ask God to help me to see where he wants me to be courageous. And there are four things, and we'll have these up on after I've finished speaking, so we can just reflect on them. Four things that I think I might do, and I'm going to do, not just because I'm uh, prepared the sermon, but because I believe that this will help me uh, to inherit the promised land that God has for me. First of all, I'm going to ask God to show me a piece of the promised land that he's waiting for me to occupy. It could be a piece of work to do. 
It could be a relationship to develop. It could be a habit or a false security that he wants me to give up. It could be an attitude of mind that he wants me to give up. I don't know what that will be, but I am asking God that he will show me. Take a step of faith. Be courageous. Do something about that. That's all up to him now. I don't have to think anymore. I just have to be open to that, and that comes to another of the four points that we come to. The second thing is, I want him, once he's shown me that, to give me a hunger for that thing which he wants me to do, or to stop doing, an excitement. Because if the reward is less than the risk, then I won't go ahead with it. But if I'm really excited by that prospect then that will be, give me the courage to overcome the fear that would otherwise grip me. The third thing I wanted to do is to show me what he sees in me that I don't see in myself. Michael Harvey at uh, the Culture of Invitation uh, gave a wonderful illustration from the Bible of Gideon. Gideon stuck in the wine press, the Midianites coming down every time there was a wheat harvest and taking it all away. So he's stuck there in the wine press. I'm not quite sure how you get stuck in a wine press because I've seen one and you can't even stand on it, much less get inside it. But anyway, the idea was he was hidden away and he was threshing the corn. And the angel of the Lord <coughs> came to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What a what a sick joke, really. Hidden away. And if I see myself as God sees me, then I can do these things. Not if I see only what I see in myself. And I think we've got some wonderful illustrations in the church. I haven't asked if I can use them uh, with these people, but there are people who will have taken a step of faith which has led to something which they look back on and they say, gosh, just think how that started. I never thought I could do that. Think of Samara. Think of uh, Jan with uh, Flame. Think of Sharon Blythe with uh, Love Moldova. Think of Carol with the All Night Cafe. They shouldn't be embarrassed because it's God who's done it and God who's put in them the view about what they can do that they never realised that they could do. And the last thing I'm going to do, which perhaps should be the first thing, is to follow the example uh, of what Joshua was told to do, which is to meditate on the word of the Lord day and night. Keep the channels open. If I go into the promised land, even with a historic message and not with a daily message of being God, God being with me, then I shall fail. So being open and then all those other three things, he'll be able to show me. He's perhaps trying to show me now, but if I'm not looking towards him, then how can I hear what he has to say? That's it. Let's be courageous and take the promised land.